4: First Contact with Lori Siegel is a production of Dot 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 Media and iHeartRadio.
5: We don't travel anymore, and it seemed impossible. If you told anybody on February 1st that you will not be on a plane from March 15th until God knows when, people would have said that's impossible. That's impossible. Possible. The impossible has become possible, right? So we know how quickly things can change, but you have to have the will to do it. So I think that what these companies and what these powerful people, to your point, who are disproportionately white and male, are going to have to grapple with is this isn't working. And our employees are telling us it's not working. The press is telling us it's not working. The protests are telling it's not working, right? This isn't working. They realize that the time has passed where they can say, do we think we should act? And the answer is, we have to act. There is a business imperative, and I think that there is a moral imperative, and I think that Silicon Valley can't sit this out any longer.
4: I love technology. I love Silicon Valley. I've spent my career covering it. I'm also frustrated. Sometimes it feels like we're asking the same questions over and over and over again. I've known Sarah Kunst as a person who will say things that other people won't say. Who will call out inappropriate behavior. She's quick to speak, not just tweet. She's been leading a discussion on the unfair situations for minorities in tech for a long time. She's been a big supporter of funding women. And I know her as someone who's made it her life's work to change those things for the better. My question right now that I want to ask everyone in tech, while there is momentum, how do we make sure we finally start making the necessary changes in the tech industry? That it's not just about changing our profile photos, but it's about changing the makeup of the boards, making companies more diverse, changing legislation, and putting our money where our mouth is. I know these are times of listening and learning. We all have to do a better job of informing ourselves and listening to others and changing our behaviors. So let's listen to Sarah Kunst. I'm Lori Siegel, and this is First Contact. First of all, it is so nice to see I know. It's so nice to see oh, your face. Oh, goodness. So I wanted to start by just talking about our first contact. Right. So first of all, for folks listening, like we've known each other for a really long time, especially in tech years. Like, do you remember our first contact?
5: We've known each other, I think, for for two recessions now, which is quite a long time. (laughs) Um, oh, when yeah. you say it like that, it sounds so it depressing. Sounds so long, it sounds so long. Yeah, I mean, I I remember, you know, back when when we were both living in New York and we were sort mm-hmm. of uh, young young people just starting out in the tech industry. <laughs> and you know, it's one of those things where the tech industry there at the time was so small that you know if you went to three parties and two bars, you knew everybody, and so it was a right. a fun time because it really did feel like a community.
4: Yeah, and I remember meeting you, and we were it, it, it actually that it's such an interesting thing you brought up the recession. We've talked about this in prior episodes. Like there was a lot of innovation happening and coming out of the recession, Absolutely. right? There were a lot of really interesting companies that were coming out of it. And there was this movement in New York because people always think San Francisco tech, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. was this movement in New York tech yeah. and you had a lot of founders just going and coding different apps and being creative and doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And there was a very small group of people. And I remember uh, meeting you then and it was that was our first contact. I think it was at a party in Soho, mm-hmm. not to be specific. So that was cool.
5: The only place to meet anybody in 2010 was a party in Soho.
4: Right, right. Um, And by the way, like, those seem like happy times. And and I've been wanting to have you on for a while because you've done so much work, I think, as an entrepreneur and as an investor, too, and talking about a lot of issues. And and something I've always liked about you, Sarah, Um, and to give – I always like to kind of paint a picture of the people I interview for our listeners – Like you're the person that says the unpopular thing or not the unpopular thing. You're just like the person who says things out loud. Mm -hmm. You will say things when other people won't. You will call people out. You know, we talk about us, you know, being in tech back in the day. Mm -hmm. Like you have um, said things to investors who have behaved inappropriately. You have Mm -hmm. been talking about how things are unfair for minorities in tech for a very long time. And so… It seems appropriate for me to have you on now, but I should have had you on before. So I'm I'm really happy to be speaking to you right now um, yeah. because what an extraordinary moment we're in. Yeah, thank um, you. With everything going on, first of all, how are you feeling about everything? How are you doing? You're in San Francisco. I'm
5: in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean it. It you know it has been an absolutely insane couple of weeks on top of an insane you know couple of of months. And when it comes to you know issues around racism in America, and on top of a on top of an insane you know four hundred years, right? So on one hand, what's happening right now feels unbelievable. And on the other hand, you remember that America is a country that started out with, you know, started out with genocide and then moved to slavery. And you're like, actually, I guess these protests kind of make sense, right? It, it's probably more a question of certainly, you know, we saw some of this stuff in the 1960s, but it's probably more of a, a question of why did it take so long instead of why is it happening now?
4: Yeah. And I mean, I've always looked at things, through the lens of tech and Mm -hmm. like I had this moment where I was looking at all these venture capitalists we know and a lot of people we know who are you know talking about Black Lives Matter and I'm so happy to see people out there and posting and and voicing their support but my question to you would be you know there's so many issues in and tech right and and there are so many larger issues around this um The numbers in in tech are pretty terrible for minorities. I I think I was looking and doing research for this. Um, Someone from Upfront Ventures posted, blacks are underrepresented in the executive ranks of startups by 82%. More than 75% of all rounds raised go to all white founding teams. So, you know, my my first reaction as I was watching this whole movement happening in tech and watching a lot of the people I know changing some of their profiles and and posting a lot of stuff was, this is great. Change your profile, but also change your uh, boards. Exactly. Change all these other things. And yeah. so, how how are you feeling about it? I mean, what do you think about stuff happening in your own yeah. backyard? Do you think things will change because of this?
5: You know, I've I've been drawing a lot of comparisons uh, to the Me Too movement and and what happened in tech then. And you know, having been very involved in in that, it's one of those things where. You know, the Reverend Jesse Jackson likes to say that in moments like this, there are kind of tree shakers and jelly makers, right? So there are people who shake the tree—the people out protesting, the people who are saying this is absolutely like this is—we're done, right? We're—it's been 400 years; we are not doing this anymore. This is done, and and this being, you know, racism and and the systemic discrimination against people of color, particularly obviously black people, right? So so those are the people who are out there shaking the trees, and then the jelly makers are the people who aren't necessarily always on the front line. Protesting, but who are sitting there saying, you know, what can we do to change legislation? What can we do to change hiring practices? What can we do to make our boards more diverse? To make the companies we invest in more diverse, to make the investor base more diverse, right? And and we know from research that whatever your investor demographics look like, your investments tend to look like, right? So if funds hire women, then they invest in more women. And I think almost no funds, no large-scale funds have a mandate when they hire a woman saying, of course, you're supposed to invest in women. It's just that we tend to gravitate towards what we know. So, you know, we, we know that that works and we know that there are certain groups in tech that are incredibly underrepresented, right? Black people, incredibly underrepresented, you know, Hispanic people, incredibly underrepresented, right? Native Americans are underrepresented to the point where they, they barely exist in tech, right? And, and so we know that these groups are underrepresented and we also know, from data that if we have more of them around the investing table, right, that we'll invest in more of them because there's not really a lack, there's certainly not a lack of talent. And maybe five, 10 years ago, there is a lack of founders in these demographics because they were very reasonably looking at, you know, the the inability to get funded and saying, maybe I don't want to start a company, right? Maybe I should be a lawyer, doctor, whatever. Now we're seeing something different and we're seeing that there are a lot of founders of these demographics who are brilliant, amazing, they're coming from top schools, they're coming out of top companies, you know, they are ready to go, they just deeply struggle to get money raised.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess I think about it and I think about the circles that we've been in in Silicon Valley. And I think about the rooms that we've had the the privilege of of being in. Sometimes misfortune
5: of being in, but yes.
4: Right, right. I, I mean, actually, we should also <laughs> we can have a, that whole conversation. Yes, exactly. I mean, you are you are one of the the women that called out uh, an investor mm-hmm. for bad behavior um, and harassment, and this started like a whole a whole thing where yeah. a lot of other women spoke out against yeah. it. So yes, that that as well. Um, but yeah, we we have access to the room, but you're a woman of color. I mean, yeah. there are not a lot of people you know that look like you in the room yeah. all, all, all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know ha- and and so I I wonder like it is a boys club. Mm-hmm. And and so while there's this momentum right now and and this feels different hopefully. I mean yeah. god I I want there to be change like you know specifically in Silicon Valley. Um you know I get frustrated, yeah. right? Like how many times have we heard the company line and even as um you know as someone of privilege and as someone in the media, and I have a responsibility Mm -hmm. too, like what can we actually do to just not hear the company line over and over again so we can get more more people actually getting funded more mm-hmm. companies from diverse perspectives. You know, what do you think specifically are like some action items yeah. that that we could do?
5: Yeah, you know, the the great thing is, right, that it that's easy. And it's easy, but it doesn't mean that it is simple, right? And so it's easy in that I love to use the example of crypto, right? I was really early in Bitcoin and, you know, I love to use that as an example where before Bitcoin was invented, right, by whoever Satoshi is, it didn't exist. And then now, a decade later, almost every big fund has a crypto expert on staff, has invested in crypto companies, has made a bunch of money, right? And so Black people have certainly existed, right, far longer than Bitcoin. And so the idea that you can't go out and find a source of of viewpoints, right, worldview and voices that you haven't already had in your fund or in your company and that you can't bring them in and that you can't empower them to do great work and give them real capital is is demonstrably false because we've seen people do that in crypto, right? People woke up in maybe 2013 and said, hey, crypto is a real thing. We're going to go out. We're going to, you know, do some listening. We're going to learn about it. We're going to talk to experts. We're going to get to know people in the space. We're going to make some small bets and then we're going to make some large bets and we're going to bring people in to do this full time. And they did it, right? Within a year or two, in 2012, almost no major fund had a crypto investor. And now, you know, by 2018, almost every fund did. So if you can make that kind of change in that short amount of time, take that playbook, right, that you just ran. This wasn't 20 years ago. This was five years ago, three years ago, and go and do it around diversity. And we saw some of this post Me Too, where companies said, oh, should we hire women? And the answer is, well, Yes, right, because there's really only two answers to this. You either fundamentally truly believe that only white men are capable of greatness, in which case you're probably not listening to this podcast, and please stop listening to this podcast. Um <laughs> Or you are acknowledging that if you're only working with white men, but there's greatness everywhere and there's talent everywhere, that you're leaving money on the table, right? Like I'm a venture capitalist. I'm not a a full-time activist, right? I am a venture capitalist. It is my job to take capital and make more money with it. And so if I am leaving money on the table, I'm not doing my job. Okay, we've got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. More
4: with my guest after the break.
0: This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption.
5: We're always gonna have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish.
0: Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls Podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health
4: I look at even the controversy of Facebook right now. Mm -hmm. I look at this idea that there's this controversial decision over um, free speech and a decision that Zuckerberg made. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are talking about it and saying a lot of employees are beginning to speak out against it. But what's interesting, and I think it was reported that that decision was made, and there was only one person of color in the room. Yeah. yeah. Like, so there's a lack of diversity of perspective. And, and you know, I guess, like, this isn't a news story. Like, yeah. you, and the time that we've had our quote, first contact, like, how many times have we had this conversation? Yeah. But, but I guess that maybe is the point, right? How many times do we have to have this conversation? Because yeah. now there, there's real world impact, mm-hmm. and we're seeing it trickle out in these ways that are, in many cases, unhealthy for society. Um, and, And so, you know, what are you hearing? You talk to people. I feel like you're kind of everyone's confessional. And, like, everyone tells you kind of, like, their war stories. I
5: have all the tea. I have all yeah, the tea. Yeah, you have, like, all the tea. Like, yeah. tech, like, yeah. what are you hearing, mm-hmm. like, from people within these companies? That's the thing, right? Like, my – like, probably starting, like, like Friday, Saturday last week when, you know, this, this happened, uh, George Floyd was was murdered, you know, like, oh, my God, only like, less than two weeks ago and it feels like a thousand years ago, right? And since then – um. That has just, you know, the the amount of phone calls, texts, inbounds, you know, emails uh, and 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 ask for what do we do, what do we say, right? I spent the weekend helping portfolio companies and my investors, you know, craft their statements and and, you know, what do we say? Who do we donate to? What do we do? And the great news is there are things that people can do right now in this moment that make massive differences, right? If you donate to the Bail Project, you are literally... Bailing out a protester who is out there saying, "You know what, Black Lives Matter," but they can't afford the bail, right? And so you're you're like helping in the moment, and that is so important, right? When you say, you know, "Hey, Black Lives Matter," right, on your Twitter account, or your Instagram, or in your emails to your companies, and, and externally. Yes, at some point it feels like every company is just saying it to check the box, but let me be very clear that that's an important box to check, right? Because right. you need to say, when we live in a world where it is not inherently obvious to every human that Black lives matter, right? That my life matters as much as your life and as much as anyone else's life, right? Then we need to say that. And But that's the bare minimum. That's where you start. And I'm glad that people are donating. I'm glad that people are like really, honestly, truly saving lives and helping to fund policy changes in real time. But that's a beginning point. That's not an end point, right? Because the policy changes need to happen. But on the other hand, you know, there's a lot we can do without policy. I work in venture capital. It's private equity, right? We don't really interact with the government much. So what the government's doing doesn't have a ton of impact on our industry. It's what we choose to do with the money. And so, you know, I'm getting a lot of inbounds from people who are saying, what do we do? And I say, you know, think about your hiring, right? Think about your company's hiring. Think about the board seats, right, that you have and that you control. You know, what are you doing to, to explicitly go out and look for this and bring it in and support it, right? And there's tons of great organizations already, you know, on the education side, like Code 2040 and Black Girls Code. And, you know, there are organizations like Black, Women talk tech and, you know, black VC, there's not a lack of these things, right? These people are not hard to find. Um, My LinkedIn inbox, you know, has been overflowing all week as I've been having these conversations with various media outlets. People can find you, right? People can find you. And there's also endless resources online about how to do this. But at the end of the day, if you're a venture fund or, you know, an elite tech company and you are like, we only really recruit from Stanford, MIT, and Harvard. Great news. Stanford, MIT, and Harvard have incredibly diverse student bases, right? Both at the undergrad and grad student level you can go find these people. And so it's not that it's, you know, I'm sure you remember around me too. And even before that, right, there was this whole sort of conversation nationally about where do we find women? Like, buddy, women are over 50% of the population. Where can she find women? Right. Right? And and so like, that's really the frustration is if you care about this, go do this. If you don't care about this, one, like I'll pray for you. But two, then like, just, just, you know, get out of the way and let people who do care do the work. And so, you know, I I'm cautiously optimistic that some of the conversations that we've seen in the last week and a half will turn into, you know, Real changes in capital allocation will turn into real changes at who's on boards and who's hired, and also candidly, who's fired. Because as we learned with me too, it wasn't enough to say we're going to bring more women in. You also have to have really honest conversations with yourself and say, if I work at a fund that has you know a hundred people across the investment and, and, and platform team, and I've never fired anybody for being sexist and racist, right? But my team is incredibly undiverse, like. You have to ask yourself, are you sure that you understand what's really going on at your firm? Right? If you work at a huge tech company and you've never fired anybody for being sexist and racist, then we definitely know, right, that you probably are, are not being, you know, vigilant enough about it because you have to create an environment where not only do you, you know, get people to come work with you or to come, you know, let you invest in their companies, but where you also are supporting them so that if there are people on your teams who aren't making it welcome who are doing you know things that that are incredibly painful to those people that you're weeding them out it's sort of like when you paint your house right you would never go to an old dirty house and just put a new coat of paint on it you have to clean it off and you have to like scrape it off and get the old gross stuff off and then you can start fresh how do we like
4: scrape off the paint in silicon
5: valley I mean, that is a great question. The thing to remember, right, is that Silicon Valley is not very old. Like, Venture as an asset class is younger than our parents by far. And so when you think about the fact that the asset class itself is barely 50 years old and that these companies, right, name a huge tech company and it is younger than we are, right? Most tech companies are not old enough to drive yet, right? And so when you (laughs) think of it from that perspective, if new tech companies can become unicorns you know in 5 years and go from not existing right you and i remember when we met in new york uber didn't really exist in new york right and now it's like a right. you know 10,000 pound gorilla in the room so if that can happen in the span of one decade then why not make a conscious effort to say i'm going to fund a more diverse range of incredible founders so that the next uber doesn't, you know, have, one, the same problems that the, that the first Uber has had, but two, that it, it doesn't, you know, have a lack of diversity um, because we know diversity drives better business returns and drives better business decisions.
4: Yeah. I, I keep thinking, um, you know, I love technology. I love Silicon Valley. You know, this was, um, this is my career, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, this is when we met, you know, I've spent my career covering it. I am also disappointed in many ways to oftentimes have to ask the same questions over and over again. Like, you can hear sirens outside yeah. my place right now because yeah. people are protesting on the street and they are frustrated yeah. and there are questions about free speech and there are questions about whether these tech companies are doing the right things. Um, but most importantly, there are questions about, you know, like, racism and yeah. the deep-rooted pain this country is in, and, and you won. And so I've always looked at it, and this is my way into it, is saying, okay, well, what I know best is is Silicon Valley yeah. and, and a lot of these powerful, yeah. mostly, truthfully, white men at the top, yeah. right? What are the questions? Um, as someone who's been in the room with a lot of these people yeah. too- What are the questions we need to ask those people right now?
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, I I have a call later today with a a CEO of a Silicon Valley unicorn because I, I, you know, use the product, I know the product well, and I noticed that they hadn't said anything about what's going on. And they had, you know, they were promoting multiple uh, webinars that they had coming up in the Zoom age, right? And they were all white men. And like, one, it's 2020. We don't do that anymore. And two, like this week, we're really not doing that this week, right? So I reached out and I was like, what's happening? And, you know, it's going to be an interesting conversation, but my general guidance is we don't do this anymore. And- When you don't do something anymore, then you just stop and then you start to think about what we do do, right? So like we don't travel anymore. Right now we don't travel. And it seemed impossible if you told anybody on February 1st that you will not be on a plane from March 15th until God knows when. People would have said that's impossible. That's impossible. Possible. The impossible has become possible, right? So we know how quickly things can change, but you have to have the will to do it, right? And so I think that what these companies and what these powerful people, to your point, who are disproportionately white and male are going to have to grapple with, uh, it's far past time they grapple with it, but I think what they're going to have to grapple with is, okay... This isn't working, and our employees are telling us it's not working. The press is telling us it's not working. The protesters telling us it's not working. This isn't working. And candidly, you know, even if they're not out there protesting, they're feeling the pain too. And that, like most of the country right now in major cities, can't leave their homes at night. We are under curfews in a way that, like, this isn't something that I think very many people at all are comfortable with having happen in our countries. So when you think about it that way this is impacting you as well, right? We can hear sirens on one of our ends in the background right now. So I think- be, yeah. Yeah. Sorry yeah. for more no, sirens, yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like is it, it is not working, right? It's not working for this podcast. Yeah. It's not working for us. And so I hope that as that becomes apparent to them, they realize that the time has passed where they can say, do we think we should act? And the answer is we have to act. Right. Our customers are not letting us not act. The things that I've heard um, from various reporters and friends, you know, like you said, I'm the, the confessional booth of Silicon Valley. I've heard so much unrest that's going on inside of companies that doesn't hit the news where people are just mad. And the problem is when you have an entire workforce that's remote and they're just mad, they don't really have to pretend to be working. Right, they don't. They don't really have to put on their A game. They just. They, oh, I'm sorry, I missed the email at noon on Friday. What are you going to do? You can't walk over to their desk. And right. so, I think that there is a business imperative, and I think that there is a moral imperative, and I think that Silicon Valley can't sit this out any longer. You know,
4: it's interesting. I, I heard from a friend of mine who works at one of the big tech companies, and I won't say which one, but she is a woman in a minority mm-hmm. and had to in this, reapply for her job. Yeah. You know, and some of the men in her unit did not have to. Yeah. But the women of color did. Mm-hmm. She did. And also, um, this week, of all weeks, in New York. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. she had to do an interview – over Zoom and, and, and with, with people on the other end just saying, hey, how are you? And and it just seems <laughs> like, like you know, and it just seems like sometimes there's this, this disconnect mm-hmm. between Silicon Valley and the idea that we can do good and that we are changing the world for the best yeah. and we are going to have the good outcome. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe I sit here passionately talking about it because you can hear it outside yeah. and you can see it. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, even the privilege of being inside yeah. at, at the current moment talking to you. But you know, there's still that that disconnect that I, I hope that um, you know that that things really that really do change um, yeah. in some capacity that this is a sea, a sea change for for that kind of thing
5: yeah, yeah and and that's the thing, right It needs to be because I mean, you know that woman's experience sounds horrific, but the thing is that, People around her are seeing that as well. A friend works at a company, actually a, a startup in New York, and it's a big startup, very well funded. They're doing very well, and they talk about you know the, the values that they have on their posters, right on their wall, are, are you know about equality and freedom and all these things. And they hadn't spoken up on this issue, and and they hadn't done anything about it. And the founders, you know, are very successful, and so. You know, one of the engineers, a, a white man, right, went to their Slack channel and messaged the entire company and said, Like, are we not gonna talk about this? Are we gonna pretend like this isn't happening? And it spurred action, right? Within a day, you know, immediately the founder said, Hey, actually, you know, we're working on it. Of course we're working on it, right? You just you caught us a couple minutes beforehand. We're working on it. They had to release a statement internally. They did their external statement, they're doing fund matching, they're doing donations, they're elevating voices of color. So, you know, and that's just one one guy writing candidly. The fact that it was a white guy who did it is, is probably, you know, one of the more powerful things you can do, right? So if you're listening yeah. to this and and you have a ton of privilege and, and you know, you're like, how do I spend it? Like, yes, donate. Yes, you know, go out and protest if that's if that's what works for you. You know, talk on social media, be incredibly clear, have conversations with your friends, right? When somebody makes a joke or says a thing, like shut them down and make it clear that this is not okay, this is not welcome. But you can also do that in your workplace, right? And, and you mentioned Facebook. And if change comes to Facebook from this, it's likely going to be because a bunch of very highly paid white guys say, you know what? No, this isn't going to work. We are done.
4: Well, you know, what's really interesting about um, if you look at the petition or some of these employees who are talking about whether you agree with what they're saying or not about the company's stance on free speech, but there's a lot of unrest at the company right yeah. now. Um, and a lot of it, you know, uh, if you look at some of the, you know, it's like the head designer for Portal, white man. Yeah. You know, the guy who resigned, mm-hmm. white man. You know, I mean, and, and by the way, the company... You know, there are diversity issues yeah. at every major tech yeah. company. So it is interesting to see that some of the people speaking mm-hmm. out around this moment in Silicon Valley are exactly kind of how
5: you described. Yeah. Yeah, and and that that I think matters because it shows, you know, that this isn't a siloed thing. One, if you don't feel like there's enough of an imperative to to care about people's lives just because it's not you. I mean, you as a Jewish woman understand this, you know, very deeply, right? It's not okay to say that group of people, you know, can be treated this way because it's not me. That isn't okay. But even more than that is it's not just impacting that group of people. We're all under curfews, right? There are people at these companies who are speaking out, who candidly, you know, they don't they don't need to for their own survival, but but that isn't, you know, where they're coming from. They're coming from a place of humanity of this isn't okay. And I think for these big tech companies, I think for these big funds as that happens, they're going to realize that they have to reckon with it. And not even because it's the right thing to do, but because it's very hard to run a tech company if all your senior and best people are quitting. Yeah.
4: Listen, I I I very much hope that like All of this comes true. Yeah. You know, uh, I just think it's time, the world as a whole, and then where I look at the, and through the lens, like in in tech, because I think tech products influence the world. Like we're Mm -hmm. at a moment where all of us are having to move online in these different ways. There will be even more issues with the haves and the have-nots and people having access to online education. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we don't have a diverse group of perspectives Mm -hmm. in these these tech companies that are going to be leading the charge into what a post-pandemic world looks like, we're going to have even more issues that are going to disproportionately impact minorities. And I think when I look at that, I I think, well, that's terrifying, Mm -hmm. you know?
5: Mm -hmm. And and so we've got
4: to start thinking about that kind of thing as well.
5: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is the world doesn't work, right? Like if you look at COVID and and there are a lot of countries where there were crazy outbreaks of COVID and it was traced back to the fact that, you know, in certain places, and certainly this happens in the U.S. as well, right? And this is partially why you saw crazy outbreaks of COVID around like ski resorts and stuff, is if you work in an industry, a service industry job, where you are in very close proximity to everybody else in your service industry job, right? So the examples were, you know, places where, all of all of the the wait staff or all of the service staff you know was maybe bunked together right in like kind of dorm style mm-hmm. well okay so you are you know probably somebody who doesn't have as much money and you are maybe disproportionately somebody who is a a person of color on top of that guess who wait staff serves right And so you'd see these things where people are coming back from the Swiss Alps, dying of COVID because they're an incredibly privileged, you know, one story, I don't have all the details top of mind, but like, I remember reading one story about a group of like three or four guy friends, right? White men in their fifties who'd gone to like the Alps to go skiing and great fun. I'd love to go, right? And then they got back and, and they all got sick and one of them died. So the fact that you know if you're not taking care of the most vulnerable populations it's not just them right and 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 one it's more than enough if it is just them like people are people and people yeah. deserve to live but it's also going to impact you and so you know that i think is a real wake up call for people to realize like You know, there's a famous quote that I think is an African proverb that like Hillary Clinton, of all people, I think Mm repopularized in the 90s, right? There's no such thing as other people's children. There's no such thing as other people's anything, right? You know, a virus that started halfway across the world has killed over 100,000 Americans, right? And everything is global. And until you understand that like what's hurt somebody somewhere, hurts everybody everywhere, you know, we're going to keep having these these deeply unequal outcomes, but they're going to hurt you too. And so that I think is hopefully something that, you know, people are seeing with COVID, that people are seeing with these protests, that that people remember and don't forget. Right. If you don't care about Black lives, like that's on you. But if you care about your own life and you you want to be able to leave your house at 9 p.m. at night in the next few months, then like you might want to get on board.
4: Hmm. That's such a powerful statement. And and I do think like man, if this doesn't make you care about all of this, I don't know what will, you know? I don't I just, know what that I, is. I yes, just, I don't know I what will. i really like, this is boss level. Like, I just don't know what will at this yeah. point. Okay, we've got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. More with my guest after the break.
1: I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
2: My best hopes...
0: This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption.
5: We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish.
0: Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. you created Clio Capital. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, it's been so cool to watch you uh, throughout the years be very vocal about women, minorities, and kind of breaking into the boys club in Silicon Valley and fighting for certain causes and saying, hey, we've got a problem. And even, by the way, in your own personal life, having at one point an investor doing something inappropriate mm-hmm. to you and you saying, you know what, like I'm just not gonna yeah. um, sit here and take this. Yeah. And and you spoke out publicly. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, It's been interesting to watch throughout the years and you really, not develop, you've always had that voice. Yeah. When was it that you launched Clio? It was 2018
5: or 2019? Uh, Yep. So so 2018 and, and we've been going strong for about a year and a half now. So take me to the idea behind Cleo because I
4: remember when you I feel like and I gave you that whole backstory yeah. to kind of give little pieces about like this didn't just come out of like oh I think I want to help women or you know I just feel like it was always in your DNA mm-hmm. that you were going to do something mm-hmm. like a, a launch an investment fund to help different types of people you know yeah. not the typical Silicon Valley yeah. uh, dynamic get get funding so so take me to the the thought process behind it and, and why you launched and what it is
5: yeah so so you know Cleo. Capital is a, is a pre-seed venture fund and we don't have a mandate around race or gender in terms of diversity investing. We just invest in incredibly smart people and it turns out that the women and minorities and, and members of the LGBTQ community and people from all over the country, right, not just Silicon Valley or New York, are incredibly smart and they're building incredible companies. And so, you know, for us that is easy because to your point that's in our DNA. That's what we believe and that's in, in those people flock to us and that's what we do. Um, in terms of the fund, and, you know, I had been at a large venture capital fund years ago, and then left and went and started a company and raised venture capital for that, and saw all the challenges that that there is in doing that. Period. Much less, you know, as a woman, as a black woman, and it was really interesting, eye opening experience. And you know, I I then was tapped by two sort of very different but very interesting um, opportunities. One was I was on a board at Michigan State University where I went to college, and I was on a board to help them do their LP investing, so to help them allocate into you know venture funds, hedge funds, all of that. And so I learned a lot about that side of the equation, which is often kind of a mystery, um, even to very experienced fund managers. Um, so I got to sit in that seat. And then I also on the other side, you know, as a scout for Sequoia, um, and and was seeing, you know, how scouting works, which scout investing basically is when a bigger fund says, hey, you know, we know all these smart, brilliant people in our networks who aren't personally um, liquid yet they can't actually angel invest or, or they can't angel invest why don't we fund their angel investing you know they'll find us amazing deals and that we might end up wanting to put money into as well and then we'll split the proceeds and so that's scout investing i was a scout at sequoia you know my company had run out of money i was winding it down kind of thinking about what i wanted to do next and i was really bothered that you know i was scout investing so i'd call my female founder friends and because they're you know my closest friends and i would say hey you know i'm i'm angel investing now i'm scout investing um, you know, can you send me deal flow, right? What are you, what are you investing in? And, and these are brilliant women, many of whom you're friends with as well, who've been in this industry for a long time. They're, they're you know, super smart. They've had success, some success, but they all said, oh, we don't angel invest. I'm like, why? Like they're not personally liquid, right? Because they're raising so much less money at lower valuations. It's harder to take money off the table. They're less likely, you know, mm-hmm. to be getting hired into these big tech companies to begin with and getting those big paydays. They're less likely to be made advisors at companies so that then when there are exits that they're getting some of that free cash flow that funds most of the angel investing in Silicon Valley. So they weren't really angel investing. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But then why aren't you scout investing? And all of them looked at me and said, what's a scout? And so I started doing some digging. And I found out that that there are about five-ish firms at any given time that have scout programs in Silicon Valley. And all of them have by far predominantly men. And they're also relatively, you know, pretty undiverse, right? So I was shocked to hear this. I shouldn't be shocked that sometimes, you know, we, we still get shocked by the things that are probably obvious at this point. And right. so I was really bothered that, that I knew all these amazing, brilliant women who are insanely well-connected and, you know, they weren't able to angel invest. And so my thought, what I said was, you know, why not, Give them the opportunity to angel invest. Why not give them money? And I was thinking about joining larger funds and even post Me Too, I wasn't Wildly impressed by what I was seeing at the bigger funds in terms of their their commitments to diversity, how they were treating diverse audiences, all of that. So, you know, I decided to launch my own fund. And, you know, we invest in anyone. I invest in anyone. My scouts invest in anyone. But my scouts are an amazing group of women who are female founders. They've raised between five and 50 million themselves. They're backed by top funds. They co-invest with top funds. And it's working. The two best performing um, investments in our fund right now. One is two female founders, um, one of whom is a woman of color, and the other is, you know, two male founders. But they are, you know, they're both immigrants, and and one is a man of color, and so it works right and and we didn't do those yeah. deals because of that we did those deals cuz they're great deals and we have top tier investors who followed us into both of those deals and they're you know they're doing incredibly well because these people like the talent is out there and it doesn't need training it is ready it just needs capital and it's awesome to be a part of doing that
4: yeah and, and you i think as when all of this happened with coronavirus you put out a program for folks who were laid off mm-hmm. um Uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that? I feel like that could be a good resource for folks.
5: Yeah. So, so that was something that we put together very quickly and, you know, investors generally say, actually the last business trip I took before COVID really shut things down was to New York. So I was in New York in early March, the first week of March, and I was on a panel, an investor panel talking about how, you know, someone said, uh, you know, what about downturns? And I said, I'm a pre-seed investor, right? Historically, downturns are a great time to start a company because talent is cheaper. The opportunity cost of starting a company is cheaper. Even ad rates, right, on Facebook and and Instagram, as we've seen during coronavirus, are cheaper because there's less capital, there's less competition. And so, you know, Uber, Airbnb, all of these companies, right, if Airbnb, if those guys had had well-paying jobs in that moment, Airbnb would never exist because it never would have occurred to them to rent out their beds, right? So so we know this to be true, but now this downturn hit, And it hit incredibly suddenly and incredibly hard. And within two weeks, 30,000 plus tech workers had been laid off disproportionately female, disproportionately people of color. And what we were seeing is that all these investors were saying, you know, time to build, go build stuff. This is a great time to start a company. But they weren't giving them any instruction on how to do it or any resources or any help. And so my thought was, you know, I know, I've started companies, I know how to do that. I'm a pre-seed investor. I work with founders at the earliest stages. I, I write checks before there's anything beyond a person I believe in who has an idea. So I said, well, why not just do that? And so we launched a program called Chrysalis because, you know, it's when when the Caterpillar thinks its life is over, it turns into a butterfly. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so we launched this program with a really simple mandate, which was, you know, we put up an application page and TechCrunch, you know, wrote about it. And we we reached out to some people, amazing people we knew had been, Laid off, and we started to get hundreds and hundreds of applications, right? And Mm -hmm. so we launched the program. It's a six week program, and there are people who have been laid off, and they are people who are brilliant. They come out of top tech companies. You know, we have Physics PhDs, we have CXOs of publicly traded companies, and everything in between—an incredibly diverse group of people—and they're building, right? They all came together and they started getting to know each other, trading company ideas, and you know, from there, they were able to say, "Okay, great, you know, let's go out and and start working on stuff." And so we're we're in week four, and we have about fifteen companies that people are working on now, and they're pretty viable, right? They're good ideas. They're incredibly talented founders with great experience and they're building and they're working. And, you know, we're really bullish that that this is going to result in some real companies from people who two months ago, if you told them, hey, you're going to be launching a company before 4th of July, they would have said, what are you talking about?
4: Hmm. Wow. And also, so appropriate that it's like seven o'clock here in New York, and that like people are cheering outside yeah. for the healthcare workers. So yeah. like, as you're talking about that, like people are cheering. Good. I feel yes. like it had, it's been a range of it's emotions. Really been a range. We're at we a had, roller coaster. We've had the sirens. We've had people cheering. Um, well, you know, to wrap, I would love. What about this? Is personal to you. I mean, all of it is personal. Yes, I'd rather not, you I'd know? rather
5: not die because um people are racist. So it's very personal, yes. Um yeah. and 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 like I laugh, but it's also true. And it's insane that yeah. that you have to say that, right? So so of course it's personal, but to me, you know, the thing that I think about all the time is like, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s, like I want to have kids someday. And like I can't like I hope that the world has changed by the time my kids are old enough to have questions about this, but I certainly can't you know, with any moral authority, right, bring kids into the world and then have to tell them when they ask, why is the world like this? I can't say, I don't know. And I didn't do anything to change it. Right. And I see, you know, so many of my friends because of my age, right, are, are, are having babies and they're, they're really thinking about that. They're saying like, I'm going to raise this human in this world. And it it can't keep looking like this, right? It can't keep looking like this for women, for people of color, for LGBTQ people, like we can't, you know, for immigrants, it can't keep looking like this. And I think that's really an amazing kind of North Star that if we focus on that, and if we say, am I comfortable, right, with the fact that in 25, 30 years, I might be having a daughter, right, who's a black woman who's graduated college and is headed off to work in Silicon Valley. And if she calls me and says, hey, mom, you know, I'm, I'm getting sexually harassed. Hey, people are being, you know, racist. I can't say, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, that's just how it is because it doesn't need to be how it is.
4: First Contact is a production of Dot 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 Media, executive produced by Lori Siegel and Derek Dodge. This episode was produced and edited by Sabine Jansen and Jack Regan. The original theme music is by Xander Singh. First Contact with Laurie Siegel is a production of Dot 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 Media and iHeartRadio.
1: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie.